0: to the Freedom Pact. Welcome back, my Freedom Pact family. I am your host Joseph Newton, and in today's episode, I will be sitting down with my good friend, Dr. Will Bolshevitz. Will is an award-winning board-certified gastroenterologist who both practices and researches at the cutting edge of science related to gut health. Many of you listening to this will remember Will from the episode we did April 2nd last year, The Scary Secrets of the Microbiome. That episode blew up, is still guaranteed to this day, and for our listeners that may be interested in hearing, that episode is number 33. Today on the show, I sat down with Will again, but this time it was to discuss his latest book fibre fueled. We speak about the power of fiber, using food as a tool to heal, Dr. B's superfoods recommendations, his thoughts on the increasingly popular carnivore diet, fasting, and much, much more. So guys without any further ado, please welcome back the guest was our second most ever downloaded episode. It is Dr will bolshevitz dr b the legend has <laughs> returned so we last did an episode in i believe it was april the second last year since then it's just been one of the most amazing things seeing your social media as trebled. the amount of people that have interacted with you it's just amazing and for us Looking at you, I mean, we've spoken about this regularly. We think that you are the perfect marriage between someone that deeply, deeply cares about what they do and also someone that's really fucking good at it too. (laughs) You know, so you've just released this new book, Fiber Fueled. It's been this long a weighted book talked about it on the show last year you sort of teased us with some details about it <laughs> so in the book i mean 600 plus scientific studies uh two decades of knowledge of all this practice i thought it was amazing so man let's kick this off what made you write the book
1: joseph before we kick this off brother thank you so much man Thank you so much for having me on the show. And I'm a huge fan of the show and I and, and I have enjoyed watching the growth of the show since the last time we got back together or, or the last time that we got together. It's been amazing. And um, I think it's really cool and you you're a genuine person. and you know, it's a beautiful thing when a genuine person is thriving and succeeding. And I'm, you know, your biggest cheerleader out there, man. And I would give you a, a, okay, so the bromance is overflowing here. I'm going to cut myself off before I go too far. Folks, let's get into it. Let's jump in right now and let's kick this off. What made me write this book? The answer is this. I, this was not the plan. I never thought I would be an author. I wanted to be a doctor. It's something I decided when I was a teenage boy. And, you know, I followed that path. My heart led me to where I wanted to take care of patients. Along the way, I had this this training at these at these great American institutions. I got trained in epidemiology and research in taking care of patients. And I came out and felt like I, I, I was, you know, I had the tools, but there was one thing that was missing. I needed knowledge on how to answer questions like, Dr. B, what should I eat for my irritable bowel? Dr. B, what's good to eat for my Crohn's disease or my ulcerative colitis? I was on a personal journey myself. I'm a doctor. I'm also just a human being. I'm a normal guy. I needed to lose weight. I had an anxiety problem. I had high blood pressure. And, you know, all sort of roads converged on each other where my professional life met my personal life. And I discovered the power of a plant-based diet. And it changed my life. I lost 50 pounds. I like reversed aging. I went from feeling old at 30 to feeling young at 40. I, um, I brought it into my clinic. It changed the lives of my patients. Patient after patient was having amazing results because I was fixing the root of the problem, not just patching it up with a pill. And it overwhelmed me with this compulsion that you got to spread this, man. You got to get the word out. And it wasn't enough for me just to be a doctor and take care of patients, even though that was my dream. And, you know, I never thought I'd be a social media person. I never thought I would be an author. One thing led to another. First, the social media account, then a podcast, Freedom Pact, and then a book deal. And, uh, or, you know, perhaps the book deal came even before the freedom pact, but the point being that this is just like a sequence of events that I really didn't plan. And it's unfolded in a way where it's like the universe is forcing me to do it. I I don't even know what to say. I'm just being dragged into this and I feel like I have no choice but to try to get the word out.
0: When I think about you, Dr. B, I come back to Cal Newport's book. So good that they can't ignore you. The field of nutrition is one of the most tribal fields that I think I've ever encountered. When people are looking for scientific information about nutrition, it's incredibly difficult to prove a unanimous diet for longevity, right? I guess it's impossible to factor in all the lifestyle factors into... A randomized, double-blind study, you could go online and instantly find varying diets that people spout as the best one. What is definitely true is that whether people agree or not with your ideas, or they lean to carnivore or paleo or keto, there's clearly a huge appetite for what you have to say. I mean, just look at how much your public persona has grown within a year since we last spoke. It's remarkable. Why do you think that people resonate with you so much?
1: Well, first of all, I appreciate you saying that. I mean, I just <clears throat> get so good that they can't ignore you. Isn't that a Kanye West song?
0: It could be. I think sure. it is.
1: I think it is. I think <laughs> it's a rap song. If it's not a rap song, then you and I need to make a rap song. <laughs> that includes that, okay? Because that's really good. Um, the I think that the bottom line from my perspective is this. I think that no matter what you do in life, no matter what you do in life, it's part of success, is being yourself. Just be yourself. Don't be afraid to to be yourself. And you know, there are moments where I mean, there's no doubt. I question, you know, am I doing this right? Should I be doing this differently? And you just come back to follow your heart. Follow your heart. Do what your heart is telling you to do. And if you do that, then you are being your authentic self. And I think people respond to that. I think that people can see that. And I think the other thing too is just having the confidence, just having the confidence to put it out there and give it a shot and see see what happens. And so, you know, for me, I I know and I believe in my training, you know. I mean, I put a lot of time into the craft. And so I know and I believe that I have the talent and the skills to understand what's happening with the science and the the part where i need just the self confidence to take that step forward is to put it out there publicly and not be afraid of what people say you know just take it just take it and but know that you are doing what you, what you believe is right and it's the same thing that you're doing with your podcast you know what i mean it's the same thing that you do with your podcast and it's the same thing that other people do with their own you know professional life or their personal life is Be the person that you want to be. Have the self-esteem and the self-confidence to be that person. Put it out there. And people are almost always going to react in a positive way when you're just being yourself. When you came on the show
0: last time, you highlighted that many doctors face a crisis in the sense that they don't have the time to individually help their patients with personalized nutrition because of the way that the insurance system is. There's a huge systemic issue in which doctors will not get where doctors will not get paid for that extra time. So was this another important factor for you writing a book in which patients can then use as a resource tool?
1: Well I really think that you you've touched on an important point, which is that not just in the content of the book, but also in the presentation, the way that the book is delivered. It was very important for me to to give you the experience of feeling like you and I are having a conversation over coffee, right? I wanted to feel like, hey, listen, Joseph, we're gonna we're gonna hang out, and I'm gonna teach you and tell you all the things that I think that you need to know to optimize your gut, and that's what the book is about. And so, and I, and I agree with you that that needs to be one of the motivations is is to help my own patients. I truly believe it will.
0: That's amazing. And uh, I was just reading the start of the book. The book starts off really emotionally, and and I'd like to touch on it, if, if that's okay. Sure. In the sense that your father, which is very sad, passed away just before the book was published. So I'd love to know, what are some of the lessons that you took away from your father?
1: My dad used to always talk to me when I was a little boy. I remember going to bed at night. Gosh, I've never talked about this publicly, so it's kind of wild, but my dad used to talk to me when I was a little boy and I was going to bed. And I remember my dad was very creative and he would tell me stories. He would tell me stories about like pirates finding treasure or like spies. And then there was always some sort of moral lesson. And one of the big themes that he used to always teach me about was integrity. And I feel like with everything that has been happening for me, I come back to that lesson that my dad gave me because, you know, there are tons of opportunities for me to make money, to monetize, to cash in on, you know, the stuff that I've built. That's not what this is about. That was never what this was about and so continuing to stick to those lessons of doing what's right valuing the purity of the opinion and not allowing that to be corroded by financial influences i think is you know one of the important things for me and that's why you'll find when you look at my account like there's there's virtually no commercial influence if there's anything commercial that you see in my account which is like maybe once a year or twice a year it's because i actually believe in what i'm putting out there
0: someone like myself I've got parents now that they're getting on They're in their early 60s to mid 60s you know you think if they were to come down with the virus then could potentially be fatal what would your advice be to say people that do have their parents around that are fortunate enough to have what what would you say to to those people
1: I, I I think that you know the lesson is tell the people that you care about whether it's your parents or not Tell the people that you care about that, 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 you love them and, you know, open up those lines of communication and human connection. Um, you know, it's interesting, Joseph, my, my dad, uh, I was feeling for several months cause my dad lives, you know, I mean, it's a solid, like by car, 20 hours from where I live and I was feeling for several months, like I gotta get up and and see my dad. And there was something pushing me to do that. And in September, I flew up to New York, upstate New York, to see my dad. And we had a weekend that was like, I mean, this is kind of weird, but it's the truth. It's like, if you were to say to someone, you have one weekend left with your dad, what would you do? And I didn't know anything was going to happen to my dad. When my dad passed, which was in January, it was completely unexpected. It was a phone call one day. And, um, in September, when I flew up there, it was like the perfect weekend. We went to a Syracuse football game. So, you know, obviously football in the United States, I'm talking about American football, of course, that's our passion. And we went to a Syracuse football game. That's the local university that I grew up being a fan of. They were playing the number one team in the country. We went to the game. We had a great time. We drove up into the mountains where I used to camp when I was a boy, you know, and we would go camping. My dad drove me through his hometown, which is about an hour away from where I grew up. And he showed me where his grandparents lived. And so we spent this weekend with this combination of nostalgic moments from the past. And also my dad sharing stories and history that I had never heard him talk to me before about, about our family. And it's stuff like that, that, you know, really makes you wonder about the higher power and what's going on out there, and how much of this is just kind of almost already written. I just don't know, I really don't. But what I do know is that I'm really, really glad that I had that weekend with my dad. And there was something in my gut that was telling me that I had to get up there and see him, and I did. And that was like our goodbye weekend. And um, and I'll always have that, and it's very special. And you know, I hate that he's gone, Um, it's, it's, it's hard. It's sad. I wish he had more time with his grandkids above anything else, honestly. But my dad did live a full life and he gave me lessons and I'm the, I'm the guy that I am. I'm the man that I am because of my dad. And so I'm proud to carry forward the family honor and the family flag and including in this book, honestly, which to me, this book, this book is about gut health and I want people to know. And I mean, I know that you know this that there's no, there's no agenda. There's no agenda. This is, this is me sharing with you the legitimate science. And this is also the reason why you see great scientists like William Lee stepping forward and supporting my book because they can see how real the science is that I'm putting out there. So, yeah. So anyway, I think the message is that the people in your, family, in, your, in your life that you love, whether we are doing the physical social distancing thing or not, make sure you make time for them. Make sure that you spend that time. Um, I'm really glad that I got up to my dad's house in September and we got to have that weekend together, you know? Thank you
0: for sharing that story. I think there's the lesson. Tomorrow is never guaranteed. Whilst we're all fortunate enough to do it, let's tell the people that we love that we love them whilst we have the chance. That was at the start of the book. So let's just start there. The title is called Fiber Fueled. In the space of nutrition, there are a lot of sexy words. Paleolithic, protein, fats, carbs, carnivore,
1: keto. Why fiber? Brother, call me weird if you want to. I think fiber is sexy. <laughs> I think fiber is sexy. What do you want me to say? All right. And I got these glasses that if you wear these glasses, you'll think fiber is sexy, too. And by wear these glasses, I mean read the book. All right. Because I, I want other people to see. I want other people to see the healing power of fiber. You know, and we have a we have a critical fiber deficiency in the Western world, both in my country and in yours which is that, you know, in the United States, 97% of people are not getting the minimal amount of fiber. Like we can't do fiber studies where there is a population of high fiber consumers because in the United States, that doesn't exist. The high fiber consumers in the U S are still getting less than the amount that we recommend, which is like a scary thing. And you know, what I want people to do is, you know, I want you to take a step back for a minute and Take this memory that you have of your grandma stirring the orange drink so that she could poop. Please erase that from your memory. Please erase that from your memory and replace it with this podcast, which is to say, fiber, taking it from the top, fiber is a part of plants, every plant. Every single plant has fiber. But what's unique and what pe- most people don't realize is we don't even have an estimate for how many types of fiber exist. We don't even know. It could be millions, it could be billions. Every plant has its own unique types. So the fiber that's in spinach is different than the the fiber that's in a black bean. And the beautiful thing is those different types of fiber, they all have different biochemical properties. The bottom line is that what I want is I want that fiber because it's going to feed my gut microbiome. Our gut microbiome, we talked about this in our first episode, but just real quick for everyone, it's a living, you know, this is a living community. They're as alive as you and I are. We just can't see them, but they're there. If you had a microscope, you could see them and they need to eat just like you. When they starve, they get weak, just like you. When they eat, they get strong, just like you. But what they eat is fiber. And what we've been doing has been starving them. And so when I say fiber fueled, what I'm talking about is the prevailing theme in this book, which is that when you fuel your gut with fiber, you are feeding it exactly what it needs to thrive. And when your gut thrives, you get health throughout the entire body. In the book, you say that fiber is at the root of all gut healing. What did you mean by that? So, you know, we hear all these things about leaky gut, right? And leaky gut basically refers to a damaged gut microbiome. The, the term that we would use in medicine is dysbiosis. And if I'm going to paint a picture of what dysbiosis is, dysbiosis means that you have less good guys, you have more bad guys, and many times you have less species of bacteria. And when this occurs, you lose the balance that normally is there And it causes harm to the lining of the intestine. There are these things called tight junctions that hold the lining of the intestine together. And when dysbiosis sets in, they pop open. And this allows stuff to start to leak out of the gut. So when you see people talk about leaky gut, this is what they're referring to. I might call it intestinal permeability, but that's what they're referring to. That is not good news. Because toxins can start to weaken to the bloodstream. There's one particular one that I talk about in the book called bacterial endotoxin. Bacterial endotoxin is like inflammation. That that it, it is like what is bacterial endotoxin? It is inflammation, and it could be low-grade, smoldering inflammation, which can cause it could cause you know Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, heart disease, cancer. But it could also be like high level, severe, intense inflammation that causes a person to crash and burn with sepsis, similar to what we're seeing with the COVID-19. You know, people who have an immune system that's just completely out of control with inflammation to the point that it actually hurts them. So we need to fix and reverse that process of dysbiosis. And the way that you do it is with fiber, because when fiber meets the microbes in your colon they eat it they consume it they get stronger they multiply and then they release a gift to you they pay you back you fed us now we're going to feed you here are the postbiotics here are the postbiotics called short chain fatty acids and these short chain fatty acids there's a couple of them butyrate acetate propionate They have healing effects throughout the entire body. They actually go all the way up and cross the blood-brain barrier. So in your field, in neuroscience, affecting the brain. But in the gut, on a local level, that's where they start right off the bat. Those tight junctions that have been broken open, they put them back together. When you put them back together, you are sealing the gut. You are reducing the release of the bacterial endotoxin. The short chain fatty acids actually feed the healthy microbes. The good guys rise up. The bad guys actually get reduced directly. Salmonella, E. coli, Shigella, all directly reduced by short chain fatty acids. You are getting more good guys. You're getting less bad guys. You are restoring balance and harmony. You are repairing the tight junctions. And what I just described to you is the reversal of dysbiosis or leaky gut. You want to fix your gut? you want to reverse leaky gut. I just laid out the solution to you. You can't show me a study that says the collagen does what I just described. You can't show me a study that says, you know, that bone broth is what's going to do this. There is It doesn't exist. But I can show you the studies, and they're in the book, that show that fiber with short-chain fatty acids will do exactly that.
0: And our audience will be aware of this from our conversation with Professor David Sinclair in studies done, it's been proven to lengthen telomeres, which aid in longevity. Uh, you point to it as being effective in reducing things like heart disease. It's been able to help out autoimmune conditions. So, I suppose my question, too, then is is there anyone that this diet isn't for?
1: Um, you know, Joseph, to me, the path to health. Is Clear for all of us and it comes back to human biology. I Think that there are different ways that this diet can be introduced and implemented Okay, what I mean by that is you and I could be following the exact same like principles from this book and have two different interpretations and that's okay because you are a unique individual you have a gut microbiome That's like your fingerprint. There's literally no one on the planet with a gut microbiome exactly like yours same is true for me Same is true for the listener at home right now, all right? So we're each gonna have our own way of introducing and implementing this diet. But I would stand behind the assertion that I make in this book, which is that the path to better health for all of us is a plant-based diet. And when I say plant-based, in this particular setting, I'm not saying that every single person will be 100% plant-based. I'm not saying that the only way to be healthy is 100% plant-based. But what I am saying is that we will all be healthy by being plant-based, predominantly plant-based.
0: I love this, man. And my main thing is, I want to know what the science says. Your book has over 600-plus scientific studies in it. If the science told me unanimously that eating my curtains or eating gravel on the floor would aid in health, longevity, vitality, believe me, I would do it. I guess that the great news, Will, is that whilst we don't know for sure what the optimal diet is, when books like yours, uh, David Sinclair's Lifespan, The Blue Zones, William Lee's Eat to Beat Disease, Michael Greger's How Not to Die, um, I even enjoyed uh, Max Agave's Genius Foods, they are just common principles that I've come across. They are... Eat largely a plant-based diet. Eat the colors of the rainbows with your fruits and vegetables. Avoid vast amounts of sugar. Avoid eating late at night. Go at least 12 hours between the last meal of the day and the first of the next day. Avoid processed foods as much as you can. And look, as you say, let's stop running away from monster food groups. Let's not live in fear. That is the problem when you get so heavily caught up into nutrition is that it can make us live in this fear, this paralysis of eating foods. Let's not live in fear. Let's run towards health. Let's run towards foods that give us energy, foods that give us vitality, foods that heal. I want to pick up on this exact thing because in the book you talk about this patient Leslie that you have that was doing exactly this, right? She was spending all of her time running. She was living in fear. Could you talk about Leslie and how you helped her?
1: Yeah, well, so I I think the issue is that I see patients like Leslie in my clinic almost every day. You know, and these are, well, you have to understand, I mean, I don't think this will be too much of a surprise to you, Joseph, that I'm at a point where now people who are desperate for help are coming to me the people that have been the three, four or five doctors, the people that have gone to the big universities, you know, like the Mayo Clinic in the United States, and then they, and then they turn around and they come to me and the, the path to, to better health for me is clear. We, we have to address the root of the issue to use medication or procedures and not talk about diet and lifestyle. Is to ignore the fact that for most of us true healing comes from diet and lifestyle If you think that the problem is in the gut Which the majority of the time in my case like with my patients who have digestive problems Essentially a hundred percent of my patients have dysbiosis A hundred percent And so if you think that's the problem look I can cover up a problem with the pill I can put a sheet over the problem or put a rug over the problem, right? But if you really want to sweep it up and fix the problem, you got to reverse the dysbiosis. So I know that we need a conversation about diet. And I know that the path to healing the gut is through a plant-based diet. I lay out the argument in the book. It's all in fiber field. All right. But the way that we go about doing this, I want the book to be the same for the person reading it as it is for Leslie when she's in my clinic, because I need to meet you where you are. Right, So this is not about me throwing a bunch of recipes at you and being like, hey, you need to be 100% plant-based now or you're a bad person. That's not what this is about. This is about meeting you where you are and recognizing that in the United States, and I think this is true in the UK too, in the United States, the average person is 10% plant-based. Man, you could be 5% plant-based and that's pretty darn close to normal, all right? And that means that I got a lot of room for improvement. And if you are 10% and you go to 30%, I am your biggest cheerleader. And I honestly believe that when people do this and they go and they start ramping it up 20, 30, 40, 50, and they start moving like that, they're going to feel so much better in a way that they didn't expect, in a way that they didn't realize that their body was capable of. They're going to want more. They're going to want more. And they're going to be addicted to the way that they feel. But the the challenge is the inertia. The challenge is the inertia. It's the there's so many reasons that a person, you know. Let me ask you. You're a, you're a young guy. What are some of the reasons that you would say? You know, I just don't know that I really want to change my diet.
0: So I would say the social cost is one
1: thing. Yep. Yeah, definitely. So people are. It's what are my friends going to say? What am I going to eat when I go out in public? Some people are going to say they can't afford it. A lot of my patients go, I don't eat that way. I have no clue what to even make. I don't even know like one dish that I could make that's like that, right? Um, And also, we all eat food that we love. It's not a coincidence. We're not eating food that we hate. Every single person is eating food that they love. And there's naturally a resistance to making a change away from a diet that you love. I mean, food is pleasure, right? We're meant to enjoy it. I think what I want people to understand is that your taste buds will come along for the ride. And so from my perspective, I've been there. I've felt that fear. I was afraid to make those changes myself, but when I started to make those changes because I felt so much better, I kept doubling and tripling and quadrupling down on this idea until I got myself to the point where I went all in. And I'm not saying that everyone will, but what I am saying is if you give it a shot and you start to move the needle, 10 to 30, 30 to 50, 50 to 70. Each one of those steps, you're going to feel the difference and you're going to see health emerging throughout your entire body in a way that you didn't expect. You're going to see the prevention and reversal of disease. And you're going to want more. And you're going to want more. And I, and I honestly believe that's the truth. But, you know, coming back to Leslie, coming back to Leslie, you know, I got this person sitting in front of me. She's crying. She's exhausted. She feels like shit. She needs help. And the solution is not for me to tell her you need to, you need to go and do this starting today and eat this diet. The solution for me is to show her the path and then hold her hand on the first few steps. And I really think that's the way. And that's why in my book I have the fiber field four weeks. It's not meant to be like a 30-day plan and then you quit. It's not, you know, it's not some sort of um, some little fad thing or a diet. This is a lifestyle that heals. And what this is doing is getting the ball rolling. And once you get past that, you're just going to keep rolling.
0: So I think this would be a good point to sort of introduce just some clarity into the fiber-fueled approach. So one of the things I know you talk about in the book is you say, look, this isn't a fad or a diet. This is... I believe in your words, this is a health mindset. So could you just talk about that?
1: Absolutely. You know, we have been trained in sort of an unhealthy way to think about our food. How many lists do we have telling us we can't eat this or can't eat that? How many ingredients have been like vilified? Gluten, lectins, phytates, oxalates, like go down the line. There's so many of them. How many specific food categories have we been told are inflammatory? Right, And it's, it's creating an unhealthy relationship with our food. And I think people deserve better than that. And it's time to swing the pendulum the other way. Let's stop running away from the food. Let's stop running away. And let's start running to health. Let's start running towards health. Let's start running towards abundance. Let's enjoy exploring food again. The different tastes, the different flavors, the different colors, the different textures. Let's get food from around the world. You know what I mean? Let's let's try all the stuff. Except for maybe Scotland. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the, 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 point being that, the point being that it's time for a, a shift in mindset. And a health mindset for me is where I choose health. All right? I choose health. And what that means is not perfection. It's progress. Progress over perfection. And it's saying... When I sit down to a meal, look, I I could eat food that's unhealthy or like and and you know, physically feel unwell afterwards and have a hangover. Or I could reward my body and nourish it because I deserve that. And that's what I'm choosing. I'm choosing to gravitate towards the energy of the health and find that that abundance and variety in the plant world, getting as much of that as possible is just naturally going to lift me up and make me feel better.
0: I think you may be the perhaps third, maybe fourth person on the show, which has alluded to this problem with the sort of American health society, if you will. And, you know, we've had, you know, you, uh, Dr. Lee, Dr. Sinclair, you've all alluded to this problem in that it's such a reaction. Those guys are legends. Legends, yeah, all three of you. And uh, you've all alluded to this sort of problem in which it's so reactive. There's no focus at all on prevention. It's all what pills can we give as soon as there is an issue. You mentioned that, you know, there's no pill in the world that can make up for the 80,000 pounds of food that we eat in our lifetime. Right. I love this. So I suppose my question on this one is simply put, is there a better predictor of health, longevity, vitality than that 80,000 pounds worth of food that we eat?
1: No way. No way. That is the 80,000 pounds of food, you know, the 30,000 kilograms during your lifetime, that is that is going to define your health by far. in a major way, Joseph, that it does define your health is through the microbiome because your microbiome is a reflection of your dietary choices. When you consume this diet that I'm proposing of a variety of colorful plants, you will have a variety of microbes that are anti-inflammatory and they're sitting there waiting to heal you, waiting to help you. Those are your invisible soldiers that want to go to bat for you to protect you. Right? And the flip side is you can eat a ton of processed food laden with chemicals designed to destroy bacteria You know, that's what preservatives are. They preserve food by destroying bacteria. That's the way that they work. You can eat cold cuts where the cold cut could literally sit in that refrigerator. You know, I'm talking about deli meats. They could sit in the refrigerator for a whole year and not change and not rot. I mean, I hate to break it to you, but meat is supposed to rot, you know? (laughs) And if it doesn't, you should be disturbed by that, (laughs) right? And the reason why it doesn't is because it has chemicals that retard bacteria. So what do you think happens when you drop that into your gut with 39 trillion microbes in there? It's not a winning combination, right? So the bottom line is I do believe that diet is the path. I do believe that diet is the path. I understand that people are very interested in supplements because it's so easy. You know, it requires no effort. But you can't go from a C minus gut or a C minus immune system because your gut and your immune system are one and the same. You can't go from a C minus to an A plus by taking a supplement. It's impossible. If you want to go from a C minus to an A plus, you got to be happy to. You got to be willing to change your diet. You got to be willing to, you know, get more rest, get some exercise, and do these other things. And I know, I know that that William Lee and David Sinclair would agree with that. And if you look, you know, for example, William Lee's book Eat to Beat Disease, New York Times best selling book, fantastic book, and it's all about the foods that heal. Food is medicine. And if you look at Mm -hmm. Lifespan, David Sinclair's book, New York Times bestselling book, you know, yes, he does talk about supplements and people are gravitating to all that. But he's talking a lot about phytochemicals, phytonutrients. You know, you hear him talk about resveratrol. Where do you think resveratrol comes from? It comes from plants. That's the origin of resveratrol. And there are so many other phytochemicals that exist that are like resveratrol. You know that have healing properties that we don't even fully understand yet. And then you have the fiber, which he himself has said it lengthens telomeres. You know, so what we are seeing is that this is the path. This is the path to better health. And you know, you make such a great point. By the way, I just feel compelled to comment on this real quick. The the reactive healthcare system. This virus has exposed our our healthcare systems, both of ours they're not the same the uk and the united states but neither of them are that great at prevention and we've been exposed you know because here we are and we can keep people alive with our healthcare system if we have enough resources all right but look at south korea south korea reacted with a preventative strike what i mean by that is testing aggressively right from the get-go identifying the cases backwards you know, working uh, to, as a detective backwards, when, when you got one case, let's find the other five cases that are associated with this one case, right? And they squashed it. They squashed it. And meanwhile, our countries missed the boat when it came to testing. And now we got a big problem because our hospitals are full and it's too late to do that whole preventative strategy. Instead, we have the reactionary strategy that we're married to and we have no choice.
0: Are there any countries in the world which have a nutrition system, which you particularly admire?
1: Gosh, that is a great question. Um, I can't say that I'm aware of any particular country that does a great job of educating their people. I've seen the differences between Canada and the United States and Canada has less bias. I think they have less lobbying when it comes to their nutritional recommendations, and they're far more honest, and I've seen that. Um, so you know, one thing that's quite clear: there are different standards in the United States than there are in Europe. You know, for example, in Europe, in the in animal agriculture, they are not allowed to routinely use antibiotics in the treatment of the animals. In the United States, they are, and. And 80% of the antibiotic use in the United States is not human. 80% of the antibiotic use in the United States is going to animal agriculture. And we have these microbiome studies now where they see that people who eat meat get antibiotic resistance in their gut. Where do you think that comes from? Where do you think that comes from? It's because you're pumping these animals up with antibiotics. And why are they doing it? Folks you probably know this, they're not giving them the antibiotic to prevent infection. They're giving them the antibiotic because when you give these animals antibiotics, you destroy their gut. And when you destroy their gut, they gain 15% more weight eating the same amount of calories. Oh, shit. So it's a way to fatten up the cow so that you can make more money with less expense. All right, and that's a problem because it comes at the expense of drug-resistant infections that could potentially spread throughout the world, and I really hope that this COVID-19 thing—I really hope that people will wake up and see stuff like this. You know, the idea of drug-resistant bacteria spreading because we're, we're giving antibiotics to our animals and animal agriculture. People in the United States need to wake up and see like this is not this is not an agenda item. This is just being honest. Mm-hmm. Do you you want your antibiotics to not work? Because if we do, we're we're returning to the days of a hundred years ago, where the top five causes of death were infections. And that's what's gonna happen if our antibiotics don't work. So Dr. B, you know me. Man, I take a lot of pride in my health.
0: I can't ever remember a time in which I went a period without being physically active, except for one time in high school when Modern Warfare 2 came out. (laughs) But man, I'm approaching my mid-twenties now, And, and World of Warcraft, I'll add to that. (laughs) It was a dark time. But yeah, but over the last 24 months, the last 12 months in particular, I have started gradually becoming more and more conscious of my diet, the foods that I consume. And let me tell you, man, I feel better than ever. I'm stronger, more energized, a higher sex drive. But having said all of that, here are my two biggest fears my parents dying, and me getting a neurodegenerative disease. Man, that keeps me the fuck awake at night. And ironically, that will probably give me a neurodegenerative disease, as Matthew Walker points out. But one thing I want to tackle is this idea of brain fog that you point out in Fiber Fueled. So one thing that became abundantly clear to me as I have started hounding down health, is that my cognition has improved dramatically. Man, I can think clearer. I don't have this layer of fog inside my head. In Fiber Fueled, you highlight research that shows the link between the gut and cognition. This research is frightening to me. So man, what is it?
1: Well, and I think the key is this, it's frightening It's also empowering,
0: Mm.
1: right? So if you look at this like, dang, man, uh, that is powerful. And if you just look at it like that, then that's kind of scary. But if you look at it like, dang, man, that's powerful. And this book is showing me exactly how to manipulate it in my favor, right? Then you're putting the power on your side. You're actually turning that into a force that you have control over right? And that's, and that's what this is about. And so let's, let's expand on what you're saying. We're talking about the brain gut connection. All right. Now people wouldn't expect this, but you can't really separate the gut from the brain. They're in constant communication with each other. And there's a number of different ways that they talk. One of them is through the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve is like a super highway of information. Your gut, Joseph, your gut has 5 million nerves, completely carpeted, 5 million nerves, completely carpeted. Your spinal cord only has a million. You got five times more nerves in your gut than you do in your spinal cord. So, and these nerves are constantly feeling and sensing, collecting information, collecting data, and sending that data upstairs to the brain through the vagus nerve, all right? And the brain can use that information to react to what's happening here in your gut. The flip side is there's other ways that the gut communicates with the brain. Serotonin, the happy hormone, controls our mood, controls our energy levels, controls our focus. 90% of it is produced in the gut. 90%. Like, I give people a drug called a serotonin reuptake inhibitor to treat anxiety or depression. 90% of the effect of that drug is in the gut. Only 10% of the effect is up top in the brain. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Dopamine 50% in the gut 50% of the body's dopamine is in the gut. That's your reward center. You know this from your studies And there's over 30 neurotransmitters produced in the gut Not only did they have the ability to communicate with the brain some of them directly some of them due to precursor molecules But the other thing is we talked about short chain fatty acids healing the gut short chain fatty acids cross the blood-brain barrier They cross the blood-brain barrier and they have effects in the brain They actually heal. I talked about how the short-chain fatty acids correct the tight junctions, right? What do you think brain fog is? Brain fog is the same thing as leaky gut, except it's leaky brain. That's what brain fog is. You're feeling that way because the the blood-brain barrier is not as strong and competent as it needs to be, and these short-chain fatty acids travel all the way from your gut upstairs to heal the blood-brain barrier as well. They cross into the brain and they actually reverse the buildup of the plaques that cause Alzheimer's. Do you know how much the drug company would the drug companies would pay to be able to say that they had a drug that could reverse the plaques in their brain that cause Alzheimer's? That would be worth like probably, I mean, clearly billions of dollars, maybe trillion dollars. Okay we already have it it already exists the problem is it's not a pharmaceutical it comes from food it comes from fiber and so the the power of these connections you know this is just one example that's the blood brain barrier right we could go into talking about the same type of connection to the immune system 70% of the immune system lives in the gut we could talk about the same connection to the metabolism How it affects your weight it's not calories in calories out it's about the gut microbiome we could talk about how it affects diabetes we could talk about how this affects hormone levels and we could talk about how this affects your genes like you're not just genetically human 99.5% of your genetic code comes from your microbes you are less than 1% human in terms of your genetics And your microbes have the ability to flip your genes on or off. They have the ability to flip those genes on or off. And if you think about that, like pause for a moment. Think about that. That's incredibly powerful. The ability to to alter human genetics. That's insane. And all of that comes from these gut bacteria. And in chapter three, which is all about short-chain fatty acids for the win. That's what the chapter is about. It's about how these short-chain fatty acids, like butyrate, not only heal the gut, they heal throughout the entire body.
0: When we're thinking about this, I keep coming back to that Hippocrates quote from 2000 plus years ago, right? Where he says, I believe it's all disease starts in the gut. And just what you're talking about there, you know, you were saying that it's not just calories. So when I was growing up, I was very involved in, uh, you know, the health and fitness space grew up watching loads of like physique competitors and and whenever someone was talking about dieting they all talked about the same approach if it fits your macros just a simple thing of calories in versus calories out until very recently in fact maybe even yesterday in my mind i always had the idea that i wanted to lose weight it was just a simple case of just being a caloric deficit make simple switches for example switching from a coke to a diet coke or a coke zero with zero calories but your bucket comes across and it says that artificial sweeteners perhaps maybe they're even worse
1: yeah they may be worse because because there are things that you will eat with lunch today that will affect how you interpret dinner in a couple of hours okay Yeah. And so the artificial sweeteners are not absorbed. They don't have, they don't give you any calories, but they do affect the microbiome. And if you alter the microbiome in a way that makes them more efficient at extracting calories, more efficient at spiking your blood sugar, then you actually will find that even though you had zero calories in that coke, that diet coke, you may you will find that your sugar tolerance at the next meal will be worse. And there's the opposite of this. So that's artificial sweeteners, and they are bad for the microbiome and potentially worse than sugar. But I honestly I don't want you to really have either. You know, I really would encourage you to minimize both. But the opposite of this is an interesting thing called the lentil, the the lentil effect, or now they call it the second meal effect. And what's fascinating is that they took, they took people who um, fed them, they fed them the exact same macros, okay? The exact same macros and the same number of calories, but one of them had a higher amount of lentils. And lentils are a legume, and they're a great source of fiber, they're a great source of resistant starch, And both of those things are fantastic for the healthy gut microbiome. And so what they did is they fed them isocaloric meals, same macros. And then the next meal, they fed them once again, the same meal. Like the next meal was literally the exact same. All right. And what they found was that because they had lentils at lunchtime, their blood sugar was actually under better control with dinner even though both people had literally the exact same meal. There's no difference because the lentils and the second meal effect basically altered the microbiome in a way that protected them going forward. So it's not calories in and calories out. I honestly think, Joseph, so don't get me wrong. You cut calories, you will lose weight. And then your metabolism will slow down it's not it's not quite that simple right and you know that because Mm -hmm. because of your background you know that, that there's complexity to this that weight loss is not as simple as we want it to be all right but the way that i think about it is this it's like a current okay it's like a current and what i mean by that is if we're swimming if we're in the english channel and we're swimming the current could push you forward and if that's the case, that's like the skinny person with a healthy gut microbiome. They can eat whatever they want and they get away with it and they're still skinny. Or that current could push against you. And that's you're hacking and you're fighting just to just to move and a foot forward, right? And that's the person who is overweight and no matter what they do and they struggle and they fight and many people who are thin don't understand the challenges that these, these people face but these people face real challenges where it's like a current running against them and they can't lose weight. When you look at the microbiome, Joseph, they did this study that I think was quite fascinating. They took humans that were genetically the same. They were identical twins. Okay. So exact same human genome, except they were different in terms of their weight. One person was obese and one person was thin. They took the microbiome from these humans and transferred it into mice. So one mouse got the obese person's microbiome, the other mouse got the skinny person's microbiome. And then they fed these two mice the exact same food, same calories, same everything. The mouse that got the obese microbiome became obese. The mouse that got the skinny microbiome became skinny. It's not just calories in and calories out. The microbiome has a lot to say with it. And this is the reason why when you eat, if you were to eat a 100% whole food plant-based diet, I'm convinced, And again, in my book, it's not about you having to, you don't have to be 100%, but I'm convinced that if you ate a 100% whole food plant-based diet, you could literally eat without restriction. You could eat when you're hungry. You could eat whenever you want and you would still lose weight. The reason why is because the fiber tells your body when to stop eating, so you lose your appetite, you become satisfied, and you take your foot off the gas. And they studied this. There's a there's a famous doctor in the U. S. named Neil Barnard. And Neil Barnard studied this and found that when people were eating a 100% whole food plant based diet without restriction, like don't count your calories, don't hold back, when they did this these people lost an average of four to five kilograms, four to five kilograms. They lost like 14 pounds. The people who continue to eat the regular diet, continue to gain weight. So the point from my perspective is I get the whole calorie counting thing. Quality of calories is really important. Quality of diet is really important. And if you're eating the right diet, instead of putting in these processed foods if you're eating the right diet you don't have to count your calories you don't have to count your macros you don't have to weigh your food it doesn't have to be that complicated you can just eat what you want and eat until you're full and then you stop and you will lose weight
0: i i think you hit it perfectly and that was one of the things i noticed after say 12 weeks of calorie counting in the sense that I'm not sure if anyone here listening has ever used say, the MyFitnessPal app to do it. But because it can be quite difficult to weigh out or to track a load of fresh foods or vegetables, you inevitably end up gravitating towards things that you can just scan. What are they? Processed foods in plastic packaging, right? You give this crazy, crazy study in the book, and I th- and I, I think you say was something like off the top of my head, If you increase processed food by ten percent, your risk of cancer goes up by something like fourteen percent, maybe.
1: Yes. It's just. Yeah, and your and your and your risk of mortality as well goes up, and you know, and then the question is, what happens when you get to American levels or UK levels of processed food, where you know in the US we're sixty percent. I mean, I don't know. what, What do you think you guys are in the UK
0: of what of processed foods? Yeah. Yeah, uh, it must be high. I'm not sure we're, we're as bad as the U.S., but we are very 50, bad. Yeah? Forty fifty. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, and so, so, and so, you're just compounding that risk. You're just compounding that risk. So it's quite scary.
0: Very scary. So man, let's delve into the fun stuff, man. Let's talk all about fiber. All right. Know? So my first question, to you, I suppose, is um, you know I've read the book and loved it. Is is all fiber created equal?
1: Uh, no, not all fiber is created equal. It's important for people to know there are so many different types of fiber, all right? And to make it simple, we create two categories, soluble and insoluble fiber, all right? Now insoluble fiber is roughage. It's the grit. It's the stuff that no matter what you do, it's going to go in your mouth and it's going to pass through and it's going to sweep stuff out like a broom, okay? And that's sort of the classic picture of fiber everyone thinks oh I eat fiber and it like shoots out my shoots out my tail like a <laughs> torpedo right and that that is the, that's the insoluble fiber that's shooting out of your tail like a torpedo but soluble fiber is the one that has my heart um, it's so special because soluble fiber dissolves completely in a drink and it goes down and it's untouched through the stomach through 10 to 15 feet of the small intestine and it gets down to the colon and it meets the gut, the gut microbes, your gut microbiome and they feed on it. And this is the prebiotic fiber. Soluble fiber is the prebiotic fiber. This is the type of fiber that leads to the release of short chain fatty acids. And like we said, they immediately go to work reversing leaky gut they actually directly impede colon cancer. They have a direct effect where they can stop cancer in its tracks, which I think is quite fascinating in itself. That fiber can actually prevent cancer, and there are studies to back that up. The fiber actually lowers your cholesterol. It makes you more sensitive in terms of your insulin sensitivity, meaning that it reverses type two diabetes. It activates the satiety mechanism so you know when to stop eating, so you don't overeat, don't gain weight. Has healing effects throughout the body. It affects your immune system, optimizes the immune system, gets the right soldiers on the battlefield and keeps all the soldiers that shouldn't be in the fight in the barracks so that you don't have all out war and craziness. So um, affects hormone levels, can reverse heart disease, can fix the blood brain barrier, can affect the brain. You know, we're talking about something that is incredibly powerful, I wrote an entire chapter about it because you know here we are and Joseph the last 20 years you've been told about what to what to be scared of be scared of gluten be scared of lectins you know phytates oxalates I'm telling you let's stop being scared and let's gravitate to what heals and if you haven't heard about short-chain fatty acids let me be the first to introduce you to the most powerful thing in all of nutrition. Because I honestly think that's what it is. I honestly think this is the most powerful thing. And when you consider that 97% of us in the U.S. are not getting enough fiber, you start to realize, dang, man, this is incredibly powerful, and we're missing out on it. And that's part of the reason why our body is not working the way that it's supposed to.
0: So if perhaps the number of grams of fiber that we consume is not necessarily the right measurement in comparison to the right uh, type of fibre. Is there a ty- is there a test we can do to know whether we should be consuming this type of fibre or another? Because, for example, growing up, I remember I was always told, consume a lot of wheatabix as it's high in fibre. So I'm not sure, is is there a list in which you have, or is there a way in which we can tell which fibre is good and which fibre we should you know, sort of maybe stay away from?
1: We have been overly um, simplistic with the way that we have had conversations about fiber in the sense that we say count grams. And it makes it sound like fiber from any source, including cereal, is just as good as the fiber in a plant. I don't count grams of fiber. I have no clue how many grams of fiber in my diet. I honestly don't. Like, I have no clue. I've never counted them, all right? But what I do know is, and what I pay a close attention to, which I believe is the solution, is the diversity within my diet. As I laid out in the book, and right in the beginning of chapter four, there is the largest study to date to answer the question, what is the greatest predictor of a healthy gut microbiome? And I, I'm pretty sure we talked about this on the first show, but for people who are coming in and haven't heard that first episode, go ahead and download that one too. But let me let me give you a preview the single greatest predictor of a healthy gut microbiome is the diversity diversity of plants in your diet. Yes, Yes. and it's (laughs) such a simple concept that can radically transform your health. You know, I honestly believe if there's one thing you take away from my book and from this lesson, make this, I don't care who you are, I don't care whether you eat a plant-based diet or you eat a paleo diet or you eat a keto diet, I want you to include diversity of plants in your diet. The more diversity that you have, the more variety of fiber that you will have Joseph this is not about picking and choosing what type of fiber this is about getting as much abundance and variety as possible because then you will automatically have all the different varieties of fiber that your gut needs different varieties of fiber be different varieties of microbes more variety of fiber leads to more variety of microbes which basically is a healthier gut it's the diversity of species within the gut That predicts a healthy gut microbiome. This is the reason why diversity of plants is the number one predictor of a healthy gut. Now, you know this. There's a special chapter in my book where I talk about superfoods. All right? I, I think that we should have as much abundance and variety as possible. But that doesn't mean that we should ignore that some foods are foundational foods. So I'll tell you what are my foundational foods. I gave you an acronym. All right. So in the book, you'll find the acronym F goals. F goals. Yeah. All right. F for fiber. F goals. And so here's what those stand for. And I'll just run through. And then in the book, when you guys read it, you'll see that I break down why each one of these is so healthy, so powerful, transformative I'm from a health perspective.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm excited.
1: All right. F goals, fruit and fermented. I think that both fruit and fermented food are good. Greens and grains by grains. I don't mean refined grains. Get rid of those white bread white crackers Get rid of that. Okay, I'm talking about whole grains. I'm talking about minimally processed Fruit fermented greens grains always for omega-3 super seeds I'm talking about chia flax and hemp. They're great for a smoothie walnuts are really good too They have omega-3s. Omega-3s are healthy fats. They're good for us. A is for aromatics. By aromatics, I'm talking about garlic and onions. These are flavor foods. They also are incredibly efficient at destroying cancer and preventing heart disease, which are our top two killers. L is for legumes. All right? Legumes are foundational foods for the gut microbiome. People vilify them. People talk about how bad they are. Are you kidding? Like... This is literally as good as it gets, and they're dirt cheap. It's, it is obscene how inexpensive legumes are for how nutritiously powerful they are. And they had this one study where they looked at all these different food components from literally around the entire world. And there was only one thing that pre- that predicted increased longevity when they controlled for all the confounding factors. There was only one food, and that was legumes. And you find them... In all five blue zones, you find legumes being consumed in high quantities in all five blue zones. And that's because they have a lot of fiber and they have a lot of resistant starch. And those fiber and resistant starches prevent and reverse disease and lengthen the telomeres like David Sinclair mentioned. And finally, S. S was a tough one for me. I I had a lot I wanted to say. But I had to pick just one. And that one is sulforaphane. Sulforaphane is the phytochemical that you will find in cruciferous veggies. You'll find it in broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, kale. This is a chemical that, when you study it, and there are literally hundreds of studies, I can't name a more powerful cancer crusher. I mean, it is smashing cancer by seven different mechanisms. And you find it in these types of veggies. But there's one veggie that has it above the rest, broccoli sprouts. Broccoli sprouts, literally, I'm talking about immature broccoli where you basically go from a seed and it has just sprouted. That has 10 to 100 times more sulforaphane than mature broccoli. So you could eat like pounds of broccoli or you could take your salad or your soup or your chili and throw a handful of broccoli sprouts on top, and bam, you are smashing cancer, smashing it. And you know what's cool? You know what? I haven't um, discussed this anywhere publicly before, but in the era of COVID-19, there is data to indicate that fiber and short-chain fatty acids optimize our immune system in a way that really protects us from respiratory viruses. Okay, so these short-chain fatty acids really truly do get the right soldiers on the battlefield and then keep the ones that we don't need on the battlefields in the barracks. But there's also data to indicate that sulforaphane coming from these broccoli sprouts also can have powerful effects against these respiratory viruses. So one of the things that we've done in our household is we've actually ramped up our consumption of broccoli sprouts in the last few weeks and again like this is not meant to like social distancing physical distancing is the priority but if i happen to get sick i want to make sure that my immune system is totally rare in the go to protect me and the way that i do that is with fiber the same principles that i teach in fiber fueled in the book and i'm also ramping up my broccoli sprouts because the sulforaphane actually helps to improve that
0: man i love that so much i've been thinking about this a lot lately you Tom, Bill, you talk about this before, and he says, if I could have one superpower, it would be the ability to make other people want something for themselves. You and I will both know like how frustrating it is where we could clearly see something which would immediately improve someone's life, but they just don't want it for themselves. Yeah. And that's what's so frustrating. When you wrote about F goals in the book, I know you mentioned this rule of 90%. Let's say someone has listened to this now and man, we've, we've scared the light of day into the, <laughs> with, <laughs> with everything. How would you advise that they go about getting started on this fiber fueled approach?
1: Well, so the beautiful thing is that it's, it's laid out for you step-by-step step in the book. Yeah. So we got the fiber fueled four weeks and it's a four week plan over 70 recipes. Do you have the recipes defined for you on a daily basis? You have adaptations that you get to make this your own experience. To me, part of what makes this beautiful and what we built into it intentionally is that you are going to do this experience and learn something about yourself. You're not just going to do it. You're going to do it and you're going to understand your own body better by doing it. And so the fiber-fueled four weeks has everything that you need to get started. And the reason why I did four weeks, it would have been so much easier to do a 10-day thing. Yeah, yeah. Call it a detox, right, and, which is a bullshit thing because there's no evidence to support it. Just call it a detox and, like, be done with this and not have to worry about having more recipes. I couldn't do that because in my book, you, when you see the science, what you see – is study after study after study showing us that in about four weeks, you can radically, radically alter your microbiome for the better or for the worse. In this case, when you choose to to walk down that path of entering into the fiber field for four weeks, you're altering your microbiome for the better. And I want people to do this and be on a trajectory towards better health. And so that to me is truly where you start. But if you're the person who's 10% plant-based and you're like, whoa, okay, I don't know, like, you know, what to do here, and you're not ready to do the fiber fuel four weeks, no worries, my friends, no worries, because I'm here for you and I'm your biggest cheerleader. If you're going from 10% to 15%, or to 20%, or to 25%, every one of those steps makes a difference. And what I would recommend is one change this week. Start with that. Flip through the recipes in the back of my book. There's over 70 of them. I can assure you, you will find one that looks appetizing to you. I'm highly confident of that. And you find that recipe and you make it this week. And if you love it and you like the way that you feel, bring it back next week and then add another one. And that's how you just start to build momentum.
0: Yesterday, we put up an Instagram story asking people, do they have any questions for Dr. B.? Man, we had over a hundred questions on the stage. Oh, right. Oh, over wow. A hundred. I'm, I'm so great. sorry to everybody that asked, but obviously we, we can't ask them all. So we just picked out some of the ones which were which we feel would be most relevant. Okay. So the two uh, which we came to, the first one was, if you could just identify, just say, Dr. B's three superfoods that you would... Yeah, obviously you mentioned Brussels sprouts earlier and broccoli. Yeah, if there's if there's any perhaps three things which you could say, please put these in with your diet immediately.
1: Oh my gosh. I mean dang. Broccoli sprouts. I'm going broccoli sprouts. I'm going I'm going sauerkraut. Mm.
0: I'm
1: talking talking like a real, like make your own at home fermented sauerkraut. It's crunchy, it's tangy, it's good for the brain. Great for the brain. I mean great for the gut. You know basically what you're doing is you're taking cabbage which is arguably already a top ten healthiest food and you're making it even healthier. Yeah. Like that's insane. <laughs> nature is nature is capable of transforming your food for the better. And that's what fermentation is about. So I would say rockweed sprouts, I would say sauerkraut. And if I only get one more, dang man, but I think I'd have to go with legumes. I think I would have to go with legumes. There's such a compelling argument and I put it in there in the book there's such a compelling argument about how wonderful and healthy these things are. And it, and it really, you know, it makes me sad for people when they are fed information that tells them that these are inflammatory and that they're hurting them. And because it's simply not true. And it, and it makes me upset because like, I don't know about you, but if I need my car to be fixed and I go to the mechanic I trust that they know what they're doing, and I know nothing about cars, right? So I have to trust them. And the problem is that when I see medical doctors publishing books telling people that legumes are hurting them and that whole grains are hurting them, that's simply not true. And it's bad science. It's bad science. It's it's agenda-driven. It's often designed to sell a supplement. And I want people to see the strength and the value of these foundational feuds, legumes and whole grains. So if you let me do a three A and three B, that's what I'm doing, legumes and whole and whole grains.
0: Man, one of the all time greatest quotes ever dropped on the Freedom Pact. If you tell someone that their bad habit is actually good for them, you're gonna make a lot of money. Do you happen to know <laughs> who said that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm having I'm having deja vu when you I hear you say that. So you're going to make that a lot of money. You're going to sell a lot of books if so. you tell someone their bad habits are good for them. And it's and it's problematic. And we got to be we got to be smart enough to see legitimate people sharing legitimate information even if it's potentially not what we want to hear. And we have to be smart enough to see when there's a person who has an agenda, like an overt obvious agenda, and they are reverse engineering the science because let me tell you, Joseph, you don't have to be that great at what you do to start with the outcome in science i mean and you know this with what you do you don't have to be that great to start with the end result say i want to prove that this is true and then dive into the research to find studies to back you up you can piece together that puzzle by twisting and turning and contorting yourself like a gymnast to try to make the argument so that somehow you end up at, you know, you go down this winding path that leads to you ending up at point B, which is the point that you picked up, right? That's not science. That's not science. Science is meant to be that you take a step back and you look at the complete body. You look at the complete body of the work and you recognize that there may at at times be conflicting evidence. And so you use your techniques to understand where the conflicts exist and why those conflicts exist. And then using the full weight of the evidence, you ultimately let the pendulum, or you let the scale balance itself one way or the other. And, you know, and that's the problem is that I see so many people who have agenda-driven stuff because they know. They know that they can put this out there and there's a population that will buy it. I know that if I wrote a keto book, I'd be selling a lot of books, right? I know that if I went out there and told people in some other new way, that legumes and whole grains are bad for them, that there's an entire community of paleo people and there are meetings occurring every single month where they would want to hear me talk (laughs) about how these beans and these whole grains are bad for them. And it validates what they're looking to hear. But that's not the science. People are living longer because they eat whole grains. People are living longer because they eat the beans. And when you read my book, you're going to see that.
0: And I guess that there's also a huge confirmation bias at play like let's look at something for example the carnivore diet the carnivore diet if you read the anecdotal evidence people regularly state massive amounts of benefits from it they'll say i feel incredible i no longer have brain fog my body no longer feels inflamed my depressive symptoms improved. My anxiety symptoms improved. Okay, well then, let's take a step back. Do any other diets report the same benefits? Yes, they do. Just type in Michael Greger's plant-based diet, and you'll read case after case study of people saying the same things. So what are the correlations between those two diets? Both diets eliminate the processed crap in which we typically put into our bodies right by definition you're no longer eating twinkies or mars bars
1: yeah and i'm coming and and i want people to know that i'm coming at this from a place of complete honesty there is no agenda if there was a study that said and i'm being totally serious when i say this if there was a study that said that by eating meat it would reverse it it would actually improve leaky gut i would put that in my book if there was a study that said that by eating meat it would make you live longer, I would put that in my book. But those studies don't exist. Those studies not those studies don't exist. I would love to see them if they do, you know? So, and it's not to say that you can't be healthy by eating meat. You can. I truly believe that, and I think I make that clear in the book. But I think the key is to gravitate towards the health. You know, allow yourself to gravitate have that health mindset and embrace the plants, right? So, and the problem is Joseph, like the carnivore diet, for example, all right, I want people to understand the lowest quality evidence that exists, number one, is animal model studies and test tube studies. The second lowest quality evidence that exists are anecdotes, all right, and if you are accepting anecdotes as your evidence and ignoring systematic reviews and meta-analyses, basically what you're doing is you're making it clear that you have a bias, and with the carnivore diet we all agree whether you are carnivore keto paleo or whole food plant based or you're following my diet we all agree on one thing you should get rid of the processed junk yes yeah and there are people who benefit when they get rid of the processed junk but the question is are you adding to your life expectancy are you adding to your health span meaning that you will age well and be healthy in your 50s 60s 70s and 80s Or are you actually drawing away from that and getting short-term gain with long-term pain? That's the question. And when you go 100% carnivore, number one, I would argue that's not sustainable. But number two, when you read my book, it will be very clear to you, you are destroying your gut. You are destroying your gut. Number three, you are going to put yourself at risk for heart disease, right? So that may not show up in one year. But I would be shocked if someone ate a completely carnivore diet, like actually did this, and does not you have a heart tried it. Attack. What's that? You tried the carnivore oh, no, diet. No, no, oh. no. What, what I'm saying is I would be shocked if a person actually followed the carnivore diet, actually did it for, and I'm talking over years, and did not have a heart attack by age 60. I would be shocked. And that is the number one cause of death in the United States. You're putting yourself at risk for the number one cause, you're putting yourself at risk for colon cancer and you're destroying your gut microbiome in the process. I just don't see that as being a long term advantage. There's better ways to eliminate processed foods and still get the health benefits.:
0: Yes, interesting. I actually interviewed um, Dr. Sean Baker, who was pretty much the founder of yeah. uh, the carnivore diet. you know sure. one of the things which is, which is clear is that I think that a lot of people look at this guy and they see these you know these superhuman strength feats. But you know, but when you listen to the interview that that comes out with Sean, is this guy is a genetic freak? You tell me about all these athletic feats that he had early on in his life, going through his teens. Like this is this is not the means. This is an like this is an outlier. And mm-hmm. Sean even said in the episode, he says, "I don't advise that everyone should follow this diet,"
1: mm-hmm.
0: and he's the founder of the diet.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and I, and I think it just it, it illustrates like. You know, I say on your own show,
0: Mm.
1: I've had great results. I've reversed aging. I feel younger at 40 than I did at 30, okay? But I don't want you to listen to my anecdote. I want you to look at the power of the science that I'm showing you in my book because that really is what I'm invested into. You know, I wouldn't have wasted so much time on 600 references if I didn't think that that was so critically important to people understanding. The science is there.
0: Man, I love this, and you know we could chop this up all day, but we probably should start to wrap this up soon. So I've got um, just back to the uh, listener question, and the next one I've got uh, was: Do you currently have a fasting approach? And as we talked about earlier, are there any supplements which you're currently taking or recommend?
1: So, uh, so in terms of fasting, I think that fasting can be a part. It's a tool to contribute to a healthy gut. It's not the most powerful tool. Your diet is the most powerful tool. I would make an argument that sleep and exercise are more important and more hanging fruit than fasting. All right, You get no sleep, you can fast all you want, you're not gonna fix that problem. So I think that fasting has uh, use, and I do talk about it in the book. The way that I approach it is this. I think that just as important as the period of time that you're fasting, Just as important as that is the timing of it. we got to tap into our circadian rhythm. I think this is the part that a lot of people are overlooking. So what this means is early dinner time. To the best of your ability, don't eat at 10 o'clock at night. Eat at 5 or 6 if you can. And then make a hard rule. Even if you have dessert, make a hard rule. Water only after dinner. Now if you do this, it will be very easy for you to get in a 12 to 13 hour fast. It's around 13 hours that we really start to see the benefits of fasting ramping up. I believe in doing somewhere between a 12 to 16 or 18 hour fast. But what I do what I what I want to say that I do think is important is if you have a history of any sort of eating disorder, I don't want you doing this at all. I want you fo- I want you focusing on abundance, variety, diversity. I want you focusing on your diet, right? If you have a history of an eating disorder, this is not going to be good for you in terms of your, your mindset. The other thing that I want to say is there is such a thing as pushing it too far. It's like exercise, right? You know this. There are people who exercise to the point that it's actually unhealthy, that it's actually inflammatory. There's a sweet spot that exists and when we, t- when we take things too far, we end up hurting ourselves. So I'm not a believer in making fasting like ridiculous and going 18 hours every single day or doing three day water fasts. I think that it's healthy to make it an early dinner time to water fast after dinner and make it 12 to 13 hours until you have any solid food. And then if you want to extend that a little bit further, that's totally up to you. I typically, I always have my coffee in the morning. Um, Many times I skip breakfast. The second part of the question... Was, other uh, I- are you currently taking any supplements? Oh, yeah. So, all right. Uh, There's an entire chapter about prebiotics and mm. probiotics. I am a big believer in prebiotic supplements. I actually have several that I take every day. I, t- I, I take them every single day. Um, and then beyond that, I'm a big believer in B12 for everyone. All right, B12, like even people who are omnivores and they eat meat, are extremely likely to be low on B12. I mean, literally 39% of the American population is low in B12 eating, an, omni- eating an, an omnivorous diet. So I think B12 is something that we should supplement. I think vitamin D we should supplement. And um, I'm also a believer in omega-3 supplement, a DHA and EPA supplement. I personally opt for the algae. The algae is the source, like all omega-3s come from plants. So why eat a secondary source when you could get it from the primary source, which is the plant.
0: What is your hope with this book?
1: Um, I, so ignoring, you know, more sort of ego driven things like best selling lists or numbers. Which you will be on. I, <laughs> I, well, what, what would be meaningful to me with that? is I honestly believe that that this book can transform people's lives. Yeah, Like I truly believe that. And so if this book lands in your hands, Joseph, and it changes the way that you think about something, even if it's just as simple as you start incorporating more diversity of plants into your diet, even if you just do that, then I have accomplished my goal with this book, which is to help people. And if you enjoy it and you feel so motivated by this book, that you want to tell a friend, then not only have I accomplished my goal with this book, but you yourself are helping someone else get better health as well. Hmm. So the, the point from my perspective is, if it ends up on a bestseller list because people are telling their friends, because it's transforming people's health, and it spreads like a wildfire but in a good way, Yeah. That to me is my best case scenario because what that means is my reach and my influence in terms of changing lives and bringing health into our societies, really is making a difference, and that would be the most meaningful thing to me.
0: A sort of, I think that would sort of be, um, you know, just bringing it back to the start of the conversation. It would sort of be like the side effect of producing good work, which is exactly as we talked about earlier. I mean, there wasn't an intention to write this book. It was good work follows, good work follows, good work. And then all these amazing things which come as a side effect.
1: Yeah. And, and, and the bottom line is like people listening at home, you know, when they enjoy our podcast that we do together, they share it, right? You guys enjoy this today, put it on your social media, yeah. put a story, do a post, let people know you are actually helping people when you do that. When you help to combat misinformation and you help to elevate and support good sources of information, you are doing good yourself. And so I encourage people, like, share this, share this podcast. I'll share it myself. You tag me, I'll share it myself. And if you love the book, tell a friend. Share it with your family because honestly, that's how we make a difference is sharing good quality information that helps people.
0: What is the date that the book is released?
1: May 12th, May 12th in North America. Yep, and, and there's ways that people can get it in the UK. Um, so if you have any trouble with that, please feel free to reach out to me because I will help you. Um, but there's there's definitely ways that it can be done.
0: There is, and I know because I placed a pre-order on the book, it is coming to the UK, so... <laughs> hey! So one of the things I want to... Um, is since the last time we spoke, we added a couple of questions in at the end. Okay. So uh, one of the things I'd love to know is it's been... Pretty much a year since we've spoke now. Yeah. What have you changed your mind about in the last year? Could be a life philosophy, could be a long-term belief, could be something that you've changed day to day, or you know, it could be something from uh, an event. Who knows? But is there anything you've changed your mind about?
1: I think I think it comes back to our conversation going coming full circle. Our conversation right from the very very beginning, which is that you know I lost my dad and um to take every day and celebrate every day appreciate the time that you have with the people that you love life and happiness is about human connection it's not about money it's not about success those things are so trivial and fleeting and who cares at the end of the day it's about human connection tell the people that you care that you that you care about that you love them. Oh, wow. And that way emotional. <laughs> I mean and I am too. And it's just like but it's like just when you do that and you live that way, you will feel that richness. They will feel that richness. You will be in you will be a shining light on this planet when so many you know, we need this. We need this. And 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 then one day if they happen to not be there anymore, you will be at peace because you will know that you told him how you how you feel, and I'm so glad that I had that weekend with my dad in September, and I'm so glad that he told me how he felt about this book before he ever, ever even had a chance to read it.
0: Let's assume that uh, this coronavirus it it's gonna take over the world. It's gonna it's gonna wipe us all out. It's gonna defeat the broccoli which we've been eating. It's gonna t- it's gonna take us all down. You were left with a shh. Short but impactful message based on your life, your work, something which you can impart and you know, conveniently you just happen to be on this podcast to uh <laughs> part your wisdom. So if you had a message that say perhaps everyone could hear, what would Dr. B's message be?
1: All right. Well, if I could share one thing that I think is just the one takeaway from this whole episode and the one takeaway from the book. You know from a nutritional perspective from a dietary perspective It's that no matter who you are no matter what dietary philosophy you come from You can help yourself. You can heal yourself with this one simple golden rule The diversity of plants in your diet. It is the one simple golden rule. It does not have to be that complicated It really can be that simple and it can transform your life That's the one thing that I would say but if you're telling me that I'm on a deserted island and the the world is gone, uh, and you know there's no one else left out there. Then I think you know, in that moment, I hope that someone would um, outfit me with the most advanced modern video game system that exists, and let me if I'm going down, let me get some video games in before I'm going down because I haven't played video games in like 20 years because I've been too busy working.
0: Oh man but at least we're changing boxes these days. So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I am now. There was a period of time where I had that issue. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so man, why don't you tell our audience, um, why don't you tell our audience if you've got any part in messages for them and where they can connect with you. I will.
1: Yeah. So um, come hang out with me. I actually, I love connecting with you guys. I connected with many of the friends of the, of the freedom Pact podcast back when we first did this a year ago. And you know, Let's keep the conversation rolling. On Instagram, I am the Gut Health MD. Um, I'm on Facebook under the same name. If you come to my website, which is theplantfedgut.com, there is a ton of resources there. I have a free email list. Um, I, with where, where I'm sharing like the new cutting edge research all the time. I have my guide to COVID-19, and I also have an entire science guide for Fiber Field, the book. Not only do I believe in complete transparency of the resources, so you can get—you don't even have to buy the book. You can get all six hundred res- all six hundred references from my book just by coming to my website. I'll let you have yeah. them. But I also created essentially a beginner's guide to understanding clinical research. You and I talked about some of the points that are in there already during this episode. But the bottom line is, I want people to have enough basics to be able to know what is legit and when to kind of be like, hmm. I don't think that's right, and you know, when you get that intuitive uh, feeling, you're you're usually onto something. So, um, so that's all available on my website. And then the last thing, I don't know if you and I talked about this. I have a course, and the course is in the development phase right now. I'm actually in my second round of beta testing it, and I'm really psyched because the course is meant to be for the person who reads the book and feels motivated and inspired and wants that next level. And this is me taking a much deeper dive into all of these ideas. The course I'm expecting to launch in June and, um, the beta testing results so far have been like amazing, like completely amazing. People are having life changing transformations. So I'm really feeling good about where the course is going, and I can't wait to share it with people more broadly in the coming in the coming weeks and months.
0: So well, part two. I think this is top part one by a mile. This has been outstanding, man. I I, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. I
1: can't either, man. It's it's a bromance. It's been a bromance from the beginning to the end, and uh, I look forward to the day one day where I hope to step foot in the UK. I've never I've never actually been to London. No, you've never been. So I look forward to one day my feet land on British soil and we hang out and uh, grab a pint or something like that.